Welcome to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. This show is designed for moms who invest everything into parenting, but get overwhelmed, lost, and resentful. Listen and learn how to unburden yourself, feel calm, full of energy, and in control. I'm your host, master certified life coach, teacher, and recovering supermom, Tori Henderson. You are listening to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. I'm your host, Tori Henderson, and I am here today with a special guest, Dr. Jacqueline Kerr. She is a mom, a behavior scientist, and a burnout survivor. She is in the top 1% of most cited scientists worldwide. Dr. Kerr left her position as a public health professor in 2018 and now hosts the podcast Overcoming Working Mom Burnout, where she interviews researchers, diversity experts, and leadership coaches. She is on a mission to dismantle the causes of working mom burnout and find solutions that we can all use to change the social moms, social norms around burnout. Welcome to the podcast, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to have you here. And I have to say, I was super impressed with your new TED talk that just came out called How to Stop Burnout Before It Starts. Super good. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes, something that every mom needs to learn and see the signs of. And even if you're not a working mom, the burnout is very similar. (laughs) It's not really a big difference between uh, working at home, working at a job. Burnout is burnout. So it definitely is something that applies to everybody. So welcome to the show. So we're going to talk today, we're going to talk about your story around burnout, what happened, how you recognized it, how you, the things you've been working to overcome it. We're going to talk about the science behind burnout and the solutions. So tell us a little bit about how you came to understand what burnout was, how it applies to working moms, and tell us a little bit about your journey. Great. Thank you so much. So a lot of um, people don't realize they're burnt out till afterwards. They're not necessarily aware of the signs at the time. And I think I only actually started to come to that understanding after we had been working together for a while. And I really started to write more in depth about my experience, thinking about, you know, putting a book together. And as I was writing about it, I started to go, well, what actually happened to me? You know, was it this a nervous breakdown? And um, somebody at the time when I was struggling had had sort of said, well, maybe you're a bit burnt out. And it, it didn't mean anything to me. I thought that just meant you're you're tired, you're you're you stressed. Know, yeah, exactly. But somehow that those words cued me to look it up a bit more. So as I was writing, I started to really start to research what was burnout. And then I was like, oh my goodness, that was what I went through because I didn't know if I just had had a midlife crisis or, you know, a breakdown. I, I, I really didn't understand it. And, and also I very much blamed myself for what happened. But when I started to read about burnout, um, there's one, there's multiple types of burnout, but for example, the, the work burnout is really created by the conditions of the workplace, right? And so this is when you have values conflicts. Um, if you have 
struggles with the people you're working with, if there's injustice, there's lack of reward, you're overworked, there's no autonomy. Um, So I started to really recognize some of those conditions because I was working from a place of scarcity in the university. Um, Definitely by the end, I was having to compromise my values to to get studies with other professors who um, I found it very, very difficult to work with them because we had different values. And then I started to understand some of the, um, because I kept trying to think about how could I have been a better manager, a better colleague? So I was reading all these books about management and they were all like, how women manage and the difference between managing when you're a woman. And, And then I came across like the maternal wall and the motherhood penalty. And these were all things I just had no idea of. And then suddenly I was able to really see well, the maternal wall and motherhood penalty is the lack of reward that is a condition for burnout. So say, let's say more because I don't, let's define that maternal wall and motherhood penalty. Tell us more about what those mean. Right, exactly. And and for those that don't know what they mean, it's okay. Because I was literally talking to someone a couple of weeks ago and she goes, I didn't know what those meant until she was a mom and tried to get back into the workplace and she couldn't get back in at the same level or the same pay. And the fact that I really admired her as a very competent businesswoman. And she goes, I had no idea because I thought, well, I was just naive and, you know, ignorant, right? But suddenly I realized, really, people don't, we don't talk about these things. And it's not till you're a mother and potentially at a certain level of your career as well, where you start to experience these barriers. So the maternal wall is the fact that you you are not promoted into um, higher positions of, of, of leadership. Um, if you're and- a mom. If you're a mom um, and essentially, you know, we can see that reflected most clearly in the lack of women in leadership positions. Women are not um, in, you know, it's only sort of six to eight percent of women are, are CEOs in academia where I was, you know, the, the drop off between um, PhDs through to like the full professor is, is huge. So women are not rising through the ranks even though they're perfectly capable to. So these barriers get in the way. And when you're a mom, the barriers come because people think you're no longer committed. And this is where there's such a disparity because you become a mom and they say you're no longer committed to your job because you're committed to your family. And a dad becomes a dad and they say, oh, because he's committed to his family as the provider, he is now even more committed to his job. And so the exact same scenario um, results in two different sort of trajectories. And then I think also the trajectory for mums potentially having some maternal leave, although, again, you know, it's not very long. It's not necessarily paid for here in the U.S., but certainly the dads are not taking paternity leave. And that whole trajectory sets off a different pathway for the mum and dad in, in their careers and in their relationships with the children that has long term impact. I remember seeing that the pay gap for women, it peaks at like 45 and for men, it continues to grow until 60. Like men's pay scale is 15 years further than for women. And and I thought that does not sound right to me. 
Right, exactly. And so that's basically what you see is kind of of the four groups. You have dads who end up getting paid the best. Then you have childless men and women. And at the bottom of the pile is is moms. And so that's the motherhood penalty, which is that pay differential. And and that's, again, because we're not being given the, the opportunities. We're assumed that we don't want to travel or take on promotions because of the, the kids. You're not necessarily given a choice in that because nowadays so many mums are the main provider. And, right. and, you know, so it's it's all sorts of assumptions. Um, yeah, and these could be subconscious biases that people don't even realize. It's not like they're consciously thinking it. It's just woven into the fabric of our culture. And so you don't realize that you have these biases. So it's, right, exactly. Think, you know, it and, might be and, conscious, but rarely. Right, and and it is really woven into some of the systems. So, so for example, some of the recommendations um, I make around this is, you know, if you're going to have a fair system that, that has um, reward for for all groups equally then the actual system of how you hire and promote needs to change because um, currently if it's based on just one person, a manager, for example, making an assessment, the chances are their biases that they're not even aware of are coming through versus having really, um, and that can come through in interviews if you have unstructured questions, if you don't have a team deciding, if you don't have objective criteria. So all these things, you know, are baked into the system that allow our biases to come through. Whereas if you then start to take that away and say, okay, any decision-making about hiring and promotion has to come from a team effort so that there's more chances someone in the team will, will be able to sort of see what's going on and that it's based on objective criteria um, and have a diverse hiring yeah. team, of yes, course, because exactly. we like people that remind us of us, you know, like, oh, I'm a dad, you're a dad, we have that in common. Like, so yeah, I could see that. Well, let's go, let's talk a little bit about your story because you said you were feeling a bit burned out, but you didn't know that you were burned out. And then you said you found life coaching and then started reading and researching and kind of then put a name to it. So what, going back, what would you say are the first signs that you were burned out? Right. So my experience um, really came, again, I think sometimes we're like the frog in the pot, right? Oh, (laughs) The water's just getting hotter and hotter and we just don't realize it. But for me, what happened, um, and this is the story I I tell on the, the, in the TEDx talk as well, is um, it was just the new year. My husband hadn't taken time off over Christmas. So I had been um, with the kids over Christmas. I had deadlines. I had all sorts of things pressuring me on the new, into the new year. And I could see like the, the next week, my, my diary was completely full of meetings as soon as I was getting back into the office. So I was just sort of already in this state of depletion before the year even started. And um, I made an appointment for my daughter um, to get a vaccination um, and my husband took her to get to, to go do that because I had a, a, a work um, meeting at the time and then he got home and I was cooking dinner so it wasn't like I was sitting around eating bonbons and and he wanted me to thank him for taking my daughter to the pediatrician and for me it was just like goodness I scheduled that appointment I've taken to every single other one I was working and now I'm making dinner I do not 
have the ability to thank you for this. And we just had this huge fight around it. I mean, he was so upset with me. And it really got to that point where he was saying, it's not my fault you don't have friends or hobbies anymore. And um, it was such a cut. I mean, it was so true, right? But it was such, um, you know, a, a cut to my heart. And so that night, I sat in my room and I was just like, okay, I can't go on. I don't, I don't want to go on. And um, so I just, on my phone, I, you know, texted out a letter to my kids because I was like, I don't, I don't think I can. It's sort of that feeling of, I just had no hope. I I just couldn't see any other way. I was so overwhelmed and I didn't want to continue. And for me, the best way not to continue was just to escape it, you know? And Um, so I texted that in my phone. So that's when I had the date stamp on that letter to my kids. So that's why I was able to then look back at it. Now I still look back at it on my phone and know that when I wrote it and, um, even the time of night it was, and to be able to keep looking back on that anytime I need to. And, and in it, I was just kind of saying to my kids, you know, I'm sorry that I'm not enough. I'm sorry that I can't ask for help right? Um, but make sure you do. And Oh, wow. So you recognized that you were unable to ask for help and that yeah. that's what you needed, but you didn't know how or who probably to. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I think that happens to a lot of moms where the only person they can look to or think that could help them is their husbands, mm-hmm. right? But then your husband does something like takes her to the doctor. He's like, okay, I helped are you happy now? Like you feel better, right? Like I've taken over cooking dinner on Wednesday nights. Now you're free, but it's like, it's never enough because the problem isn't getting, you know, one little night off. Like the, the problem is a lot bigger than that. And so we're like, we think, okay, well, they should be helping me feel better. And then they help. And it's like, yeah, I still don't feel better. Right. Burned out. Right. Because you need more than that. Right. And I think really, too, we went through various phases after that point, because at, at that point, basically the, you know, that, that night I just went to sleep. And but the next day I said to my husband, you know, I think it's important that I let you know that I wrote a suicide letter to my kids last night, you know, and, and it was like, he was like, okay, that's not okay. What do I do? And I mean, he was lost. <laughs> I'm glad he recognized that. That's yeah. Okay. Yeah good for you for saying it though. In this whole process, he's the one that's been making sure I share that story because I have friends who are clinical psychologists who want to be really careful. Like my, my talk wasn't about suicide prevention. So they didn't want me to talk about suicide, right? Cause that wasn't the point necessarily of the talk. And they also don't want me to say, you know, you're not burnt out until you're suicidal. Right. And and that's not true at all. I mean, the 12 phases of burnout, the first phase is the need to prove yourself all the time. That is when you have to, you know, have compassion and stop. Definitely don't get to, to the point I was at. There was so much we can do way, way earlier. But when I asked my husband about it, he was like, please share that story. Because Husbands don't know what to do. They don't know how much you're struggling. Um, we don't talk about mental health enough. And, um, you know, even since then, I have um, known somebody that I've worked with. One of her um, clients um, passed by 
suicide who's a mom and she think it's she thinks it was because of burnout so it's it's happening right this is not you know it's really serious so yeah I mean I I then got therapy and I took time off of work and I, I did a lot of things to try and help me but but the situation at work didn't change and I didn't really have the tools I think the therapy helped me reset but it wasn't until I started coaching with you, which was then um, sort of two years later, that I started to get the tools that could have helped me. Because I could have taken the time off, worked with you. You would have helped me set boundaries. You would have helped me learn to say no. You'd have helped me have realistic expectations and things like that. Taking a little moncation. Yeah, exactly. And and that advice from you has been so important because as we've gone forward in our relationship and me keep saying, you know, what is it that I need? I, I don't actually need my husband's help with things in moments in time. I don't need his help with the cooking or the groceries, all those things. What I need is a complete break every now and again, you know, mm. and because again, if he sort of starts to try and help with the cooking and then he burns the food and then I'm critical, you know, it doesn't work. It's so much better if I'm just not there. He buys takeout for the kids. Everyone's <laughs> I'm not happy. watching it happen. <laughs> exactly. And I'm not commenting on it because we did go through um, that process of, of looking at these 100 cards that Eve Roski has in her fair play system. And my husband not wanting to take on any of the parenting cards. And it made me, again, I went through another phase of deep depression at that point thinking, I, I, there's no way out of this scenario. And him saying, you know, because I don't want to hear your criticism. So I think your advice about the the taking the breaks and, and the mum vacations was so important because that was actually the solution for us. It wasn't distributing the tasks differently. It was me having a complete break and him being in total control of being a dad when he's a dad. Um, yeah. So I think that's so important. And then, um, you know, just that whole basis for, for our argument being that I couldn't say thank you. And I think so many mums feel like that. It's like, you're a dad, you're not the babysitter. I shouldn't have to thank you for these things. But what actually I discovered was that my love language was positive affirmations. And I had no idea that I needed people to say thank you because kind of a bit my British mentality is we're very self-effacing, you know, it's like, oh, no right. bother, or it's only a flesh wound, right? You know, we're very like play everything down. And yet what I need praise for, I don't need praise because my food tastes delicious. I need thanks for the effort I put into making a healthy meal. Right. And so that I, once I love, um, so one of the things that, that I discovered again, through working with you was how much I can be drained by the parenting experience, particularly when I'm attending to the emotional and mental health needs of my kids. Um, you always helped us with that well analogy is don't get into the well with your kids, stand at the top and shine the light and say, this is the way out. Right. So um, <laughs> even if I don't get in the well with them, I carry their pain and I get tired by that process. Yeah. Well, let me, let me pause for a minute there and just kind of back up. Okay. So yeah. So what we're talking about is like this idea of like, if your child has fallen down a well, now this could be for the moment because they just fell and scraped their knee or for a whole year because they lost all their friends during a pandemic and they are scared to go back to school and whatever, like when, whenever your child has fallen down a well, if you are highly empathic, 
We try to help in one of two ways. One is falling down the well with them. So at least they're not alone. And you're both sitting at the bottom of the well going, it's dark and scary down here and I don't like it. Or you stand at the top of the well and you just tell them what to do. Here, I know how to get out of the well. All you need to do is shimmy up the sides and climb this rope or whatever. And neither one really helps the kid who's fallen down the well. And so figuring out like, okay, it's very hard for mom to see your child struggling and suffering in any way, whether their friend doesn't want to be their friend anymore, or they've got learning challenges at school and they feel different, whatever it is, it is very hard to watch your kid struggle and suffer. And for you, Jacqueline, I know how good you are in that moment. Like you shine, you say the right things. You're so empathetic and compassionate and helpful, but you're saying it drains, it takes a lot out of you in order to do that. So it's like learning, how do I sit on top of the well? I'm enjoying the sunshine. It's a beautiful day. I'm fine, but I'm sitting here right next to the well. I can see you're struggling. I can see you're suffering. Like I got a rope. You just tell me if you need me, I'll throw it down. If you want me to tell you how to climb out of the well, I will give you some helpful suggestions, but it's you that has to do the work and just kind of like that. So it sounds like for you, whether you're falling down the well or sitting on top of the well, it's, it takes a lot of energy Mm -hmm. for you to be that emotional support and you're really good at it. So I imagine your husband says, this is on you. He probably right, is happy right. to delegate that to you. And and I think I'm good at it because I have actually read a lot of books about it and I've been through, you know, different courses to try and understand different ways of parenting. Cause I think that was part of my original crux for falling apart was when I became a parent, I just started to dislike myself because I didn't like my way of parenting. And it was very authoritarian as I had been taught. And I just loved it when I first started working with you. You were like, hey, like control of your daughter who's trying to learn to be independent. Let her make mistakes. And just that letting go as a parent not only just made parenting easier, but made <laughs> right. me a better parent, right? And so, you know, so when I'm trying to help my kids, I'm really trying to recognize their emotions. Because again, the book when I read <laughs> from the, um, was the, the, the book you wish your parents had read. Um, and it mm. basically said, if you don't let your children express their emotions, they will not understand their needs and they will not know what they want. And there was me post burnout and everyone asking me, what do you want? What do you want? And having no clue. And and I know you express, you feel that a lot with all your folks. There's so many women that don't know what they want. Yeah. So Um, here I want, because what I really want people to take away from this is some of the early signs of burnout, because like you're saying, it's a, it's a frog in the boiling pot of water kind of scenario where you just don't realize you've gotten to that point. And I don't want people to have to wait till they're writing a suicide letter. You know, let's try to catch it earlier. So, so one of the signs is that you don't know what you want, right? Like if, uh, if you say, cause this is what happens. You spent, you know, the first five years of motherhood, right? Like you're all in, you've got this baby, you learning to read the signs. You're you know, enmeshed in in, in all the delicious, wonderful ways. But what happens is you become very aware of what your child wants. 
they're hungry, they're tired, they need to eat, you know, they need to stimulation, they need less stimulation, whatever. You're very tuned into them. But for five years or more, nobody's asking you, hey, mom, what do you want? Mm -hmm. What do you want to eat? What do you want to wear? Where do you want to go this weekend? What do you want to do for summer vacation? Nobody's asking you. It's all about the kid. And so we stop asking ourselves those questions and that's how people lose themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So your wants are very connected with your spirit, your essence of who you are. And so just starting with the question of what do I want? And that's why I like a momcation because you're physically removed from everything in your routine. You're in a hotel room or something where it's like all you and like, what do I want to do? What do I want to eat? When do I want to eat? You know, like it's you're forced to answer that question of what do I want? And so if you can't answer that, like what would help you? I always give this like ideal day exercise. Like if you could have a magical day with nobody else that even know what you're doing, like what would you want to do? And for me, that's always my criteria. I talked to a mom yesterday and she gets on the phone and she is burned out. Like COVID, she quit her job at the beginning of COVID. She's been home with kids and she hasn't had the longest she's been away from her kids in two years is an hour and a half for a dentist appointment. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, and she's so, she's so drowning. I was like, I don't know if I can help her. You know, she might need therapy instead. Cause I felt like she might've been too far gone. So I did the ideal day exercise with her. I said, what do you want? If you could have a magical day and she could do it. She knew what she wanted. And so I was like, okay, I can help her. <laughs> Like, that's my criteria to know, like, are you a good fit for life coaching or do you need therapy? But she knew she just was blocking herself. And this is what I wanted to mention is another sign of burnout is she's like, I have to put on a happy face. I have, my husband works so hard. I have to help him. You know, I have to help my daughter struggling. So I need to be there for her. So when you think that other people's needs are more important than yours and you don't feel like you can be honest about being miserable or struggling or just being exhausted. And I think the other thing is like um, the other sign is when you have um, fantasies about running away Mm -hmm. or hospital fantasies. When Mm. you have a dream about being sick in the hospital, So that you can um, be taken care of and just lay there in a bed and let other people wait on you. That's a sign. Right. I remember for me, my sign was like when like the best part of my week was putting my feet up in stirrups at an OBGYN appointment. (laughs) That was the best part of my week, like that burnout. Right, exactly. And kind of in the workplace, there is that sense of exhaustion and overwhelm, which is, again, we're all feeling so it's very hard to tell. In the workplace, too, there's a level of cynicism that creeps in that people find very um, disturbing, especially if they're um, enjoying the job they had and then suddenly they don't. I was just speaking to a colleague this week and she's like, the cynicism really frightens me. And she goes, you know, because I'm so passionate about what I do. And now I think it's a friggin' waste of time. And I'm like, yeah, it's just, a, a, it is part of burnout is that cynicism or particularly say for caregivers, depersonalization. Um, and then the productivity, you, you really can sort of be 
still as productive, but it takes you twice as long to get there. And that's when, you know, then you're putting more hours in to be equally effective and that feeds into the overwork. Um, But I think some of the keys are like, resentment some people go quiet but but other people it's resentment and you get more passive aggressive and um you're tired but wired like you really can't switch your your brain off and then you know i think because there, there is i mean that's workplace burnout right and then there's the whole side of it which is parental burnout and and that is really that you start to not enjoy your role as a parent and that you really see yourself differently as a parent than you might have been before um so i think that's some of the sort of symptoms that that you're describing there where basically you find that role draining when you feel like a failure on both counts like i'm not a good enough mom i'm not a good enough employee like wherever if i'm at work i should be at home if i'm at home i should be at work when you're in that 24 hours a day, seven days a week cycle of fight or flight, where you're just like on, like you're talking about the tired, but wired, where you can't relax, you can't slow down. Like that's all signs of burnout. You definitely want to ask for help. Mm -hmm. It has to come from outside of you. Your brain is so immersed in the system. (laughs) You know, your brain's stuck in what created the problem. So you need somebody who's not in that. Somebody who's, you need somebody who's, when you're down a well, you need somebody who's sitting above the well. Right. Can't go to a coworker or your husband or another mom even who's also burned out. You've got to find somebody who's not in the system or and can see the outsider's perspective to help you get the outsider's perspective. Yeah, think? that perspective and permission. Because it is, it's it's like um at the at that sort of parental personal level, it's um, one of the models of reducing burnout is basically to reduce your stresses and increase your resources. So you reduce your stresses by letting go of stresses, by stopping stresses. That could be delegating something, or simply as a mum saying, "We are not doing four different sports that I have to take you to yeah. <laughs> on X days of the week." Um, and so for me, that was easier for me to make that first step for for you to to give me different expectations. Like you don't have to control your daughter. If she disagrees with you, it's okay. This is part of her development process. And um, that, that helped me, but then asking for help, I found much, much harder. Um, Although I do find that I can prioritize my budget to getting help, for example, from a coach, because, you know, I wear... (laughs) I wear t-shirts from, you know, charity brands. I don't spend my money on other things, but I do invest it in personal development. And so um, that for me was the way that I could. And I've known other women who who pay for somebody to do their laundry. So again, it's not everyone that has the funds to do these things, but you are making decisions about how you get help. Because I do really, really understand that, that struggle we can have to ask for help for somebody else that we may then owe, right? Because we've had a favor from them and how do we pay them back? And, but I think that it actually also gives into some of the words that I really found helpful um, from Selena Barker was you can be giving, right? Because we're, we're giving in nature and then you become an overgiver. You can be thoughtful. That's something we value. And then you start to overthink everything. You can be driven and ambitious for good things you go into 
overdrive. And so it's that tip of these things that that actually make us successful women suddenly go, oop, and they've gone too far. Um, And And empathy is certainly one that can go too far. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so to circle back to that story of the empathy, I had to, through working with you, you really helped me feel my emotions because I had been suppressing them for so long. So then I would start to understand where my emotions were in the body and how how I felt them. So I would come out of being in the room with the kids and sort of go, oh, goodness. And then I say to my husband, that was hard. This really drains me. And so I would admit it to him. I admit it to myself and then admit it to him. And then as we worked, together on understanding you know our love language and that that mine was um positive affirmations now he says every time I come out of you know sitting there and trying to talk through something with the kids uh, or if I'm doing it and he's not even at home I'm, I'm I make the point of telling him about it so he knows what the kids are going through and then he says I know that's hard on you thank you for doing it and it fills me up again. So, I mean, I know we say this, oh, we shouldn't expect to thank our husbands because they're the dad, but that would also reply back to me. He shouldn't have to thank me. It's my job as a mom to do that. But oh my God. You like being thanked. (laughs) I do like being thanked and he likes being thanked. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that has been such an important part of our journey because we're acknowledging what each other is doing. It means we're paying a bit more attention to what each is giving. We're, we're saying thank you. Um, and yeah, it, it definitely has, has really helped um, with us. I remember so. my husband would come home from like a business trip and I would hand him a three by five card and I'd say, I need you to read this to me. And it'd be like, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I could never do what you do. And I'm like, oh, that's just so good. Even though I was the one that wrote it, just hearing him say the words was like, he, and I don't think words is my love language, words of affirmations, but it was just that acknowledgement of how hard it was. And just like having that, I don't know. I, for some reason, that was the best thing for him to say to me was like, I could never do what you do. And I'm like, damn straight you couldn't <laughs> right you need to be seen and and that's the thing yeah. that women have been telling me about my TEDx talk is they feel seen for the first time in a long time and so I think that's one the power of stories right we yeah. have to share our stories and our struggles because even in the workplace that leads to psychological safety if you can share your story and have somebody else then actively listen and show empathy. And I say also show compassion because in a story, you're telling them what are your needs. And compassion is when you actually act upon that feeling of empathy and and do something to change the situation if you're able to. And um, so responding to, to those stories with really good listening and really good compassion to me is so important. For sure. You get that sense of community, mm-hmm. you know, and just like, oh, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're offering in your Overcoming Working Moms Burnout podcast is you're offering stories from other moms and talking about the the story, the science and the solutions, right? There was one other solution that you mentioned helps you kind of fill it, fill up your tank. And it was one of the exercises we did about the um, thank you note. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So that was one that um, 
I was always saying to myself, I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad mom, a bad wife, I'm a bad colleague, right? That was my, my, um, you know, your daily mantra, (laughs) very helpful, very loving. Yeah. We all do that. Like uh, for me, it's, um, I'm not doing enough. I should Mm -hmm. be more Mm -hmm. always, no matter what. (laughs) It's like midnight. I should be, I should be in bed. Like I shouldn't be watching TV. Like it was, I'm not doing enough constantly. Yeah. Right. So then you asked us as one of your exercises is, um, to write a list of everything I was doing. So to fact check, right? Because because that's what you would always say to me. Is that the truth? Is like, what are the facts behind this being the bad mom? So then I write out everything. And I really, really went through a very, like everything I absolutely did for, for my kids, um, you know, for the people I worked with, my husband, everything, everything, all down. And just to see that list and go, oh my goodness, no wonder I'm, overwhelmed because I do so much Mm -hmm. Um, and two yeah none of this is is saying that um you know has any evidence to say that I'm a bad mom um and then what you asked us to do is to thank ourselves for doing those things to to recognize because we could make choices and not do them but we were choosing to do them and 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 I I just even though I was thanking myself in that that moment um that recognition of, you know, of the ownership of the choice, plus just that, thank you for taking the time that it takes to do this additional thing. And that was also then really part of my challenge to sort of look at and think as well. Cause I was like, it made me feel great. It really did. It helped me and it made me feel great. And I was like, well, why wouldn't someone else want this too? So I tried to kind of write the same list that I could see that my husband um, did. And um, I did the same. I wrote him a thank you letter. And, and I mean, he was so touched by that because he's like, nobody's ever thanked me. And he runs his own business. And I don't think anyone thanks him for what he does there. And, you know, so he he was so touched. This he felt like this was the first time anyone had thanked him, and um, you know, it's such he, a great example of how it affects the whole family, right? Like you fill up your cup by appreciating yourself and all that you do, and then suddenly you're feeling more loving and appreciative, and so you want to extend that to your husband, and then you feel good, and then you're you're thanking your kids for clearing their plate off the table, and. It's like it, if you can start with yourself, it bleeds over. And then because it's it's the same way that, you know, where I would back before I found life coaching, you know, I made a list of all the things I did, but I did it with through anger and resentment <laughs> of like, look at all the things that I do. Do right. you see the disparity here, husband? You know, like this is unfair and like you know, see kids, look how hard your mom's working. Like I did the same activity, but from a totally different energy, which then just makes me walk around the house saying like, look at all, I have to do everything around here. You guys don't know anything. Oh, you clear your plate, big whoop. I have to do every other plate about. So it's like the, the intention and the energy with which you do that activity is more valuable than the activity itself, right? And so I had to learn the hard way that making myself feel appreciated, appreciating myself is the best way to feel appreciated by others. Because if I value all the work I'm doing and then someone else says, hey, thank you, mom, for picking me up from school on time every day, like you're always there. Like, and somebody else, then I allow it in. 
And I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. I am a good mom. Mm-hmm. But if someone had said that when I'm in like, I have to do everything on here. I'm like, yeah, I did. You know, yeah, nobody appreciates it or something like that. Right. So it's taking responsibility. And and I thought this was so good because, um, again, you know, when you're talking about that, you're not alone. Obviously, your group coaching program, that was so key to me, seeing other mums struggling and sometimes struggling with things I wasn't struggling with. It's dishes, dishes I don't care about. But they did. And I was like, well, at least that's not on my plate, right? Um, you know, and then also the things that, that seeing them get through those struggles. And, um, you know, we both love Leanne Dearly, who is also doing life coaching now. And we watched her go through that process to own that wanting to be a life coach. But she would help me in so many ways by her example in the group coaching. So the one that she used to talk about was out loud <laughs> praising herself good job, mom. And she's doing something and she's literally out loud saying, great job, mom. And it made me laugh so much. And I was just like, yeah, but you know, why, why wouldn't I do that? And then, um, I mean, actually two other examples that I learned from her. The other one was whenever we were doing our thought models, she would so often um, replace in that thought model um, curi- the, and put the word curiosity in there. How about I got curious about this thing that I'm struggling with? And I could see it every single time she did it, it changed her thinking. And every time I borrowed that idea and put it into one of my thought models, it, it was like a game changer. And then the last one example, because I I did a a coaching session with her before Christmas and I was asking about screen time and did she have any thoughts about, you know, what we could do to to work on screen time. And there's me with my pencil ready to write down this, like all these great tips. And she goes, I asked myself, is this going to help me? (laughs) I just was like, it was such a great question. It didn't even occur to me the simplicity of that answer and how effective it is. Because again, if you, you know, yes, we're worried about kids' screen time, but if you put it into the context of it becomes a problem for mom, then, you know, you've got a question when and how you address it. And it just was not the answer I was expecting. It was so great because it was just like the permission to put yourself first. And come from like my perspective, like, is it going to help me? Like, rather than like, what's the perfect parenting solution? How do I be the perfect parent? Exactly. So, I mean, I I feel like that I've learned so much from that. And again, in my TEDx talk, I really recommend coaching because it was so instrumental for me. And it is that safety net, you know, um, as I say, I, I reached out to Leanne um, before Christmas, because I just felt like I need something. I need somebody to talk to. Um, and, you know, a lot of um, mumpreneurs have have different coaches for um, different parts of their business or whatever. But it's just knowing that there's somebody you can talk to who is going to provide perspective. And it it is just that sort of recognizing constantly that oh, I've gone into overwhelm. I've gone into um, feeling tightness in my chest. I've gone into... Because you mentioned you know, that you were, you said you, because you've been doing this TED Talk and this, you know, you flew to Canada to film it. And and so that, that you were starting to feel some uh, the burnout again, mm-hmm, overwhelm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like, even though the, the expert here has found all these solutions, 
is now starting to recognize the cycle of starting is starting to ramp up again. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Right. And I think that's really important to people to understand that the recovery can be a long time. Cause I would say I I'm still in burnout recovery sort of four years afterwards and that I'm still actually just ongoing. Cause I'm still trying to work out what are my triggers? What are the things that set me to proving myself again and again, when I really start to feel like I need to prove myself um, and and, and demonstrate some, some level achievement, I work harder and harder and my values go, you know, I lose my values again. Once I start overworking, I start to have less patience for my kids. So again, I now know the things that are the, the flags for me to go, okay, I've gone into that space that I, I don't want to, to be in. And to be honest, you know, I really, for the first time in, in my life, I'm not exercising as much as I ever have done in my whole life. And I, I have to find a way to get that back. So kind of my struggle is my, my paid job is as a grant writer. That was the consultancy job that I transitioned from when I left the university, because it was a skill I already had. And I did that job um, with an email address, no website, no, not on social media, nothing. Um, and because it was all just word of mouth, previous colleagues. And then every time I do a grant for somebody, someone else on the team sees what I does. And then they approach me about this. So it's, it's been a very fortunate and, and, you know, business that, that brings in my income. But this mum mission is something I'm I'm doing on the side. It's not yet um, paid work. And so it is. It's almost like a full-time side job. And I totally understand many of us do have to start, you know, a, a side gig or a side hustle. And it's there's a period of time when you're planting the seeds before it bears some of the, the income fruit. But it's it's a lot of work. And it's, and it's very easy to slip back into old patterns that got you burned out in the first place. I remember having a client, this was years ago, and she came and she said, she, she said, um, I'm feeling burned out. And so I'm thinking about starting a new business. And I was like, mm, okay, let me explain this to me, right? She had a habit of every time she started to feel a little burned out or, or dissatisfied, she would start a new business. She had four businesses that she was running and two kids at home. And she thought the solution was to start a new business that was more geared towards, you know, relaxing or motherhood or being home with the kids. You know, when I coached her, she just wanted to stay home and bake cookies with her kids. And one of her businesses was she was traveling all over the world. And, you know, we ended up finding her. uh, She had she was debating. She had an au pair that was living there, but she basically you know, you kind of, it's like full-time childcare and she really wanted to be with her kids without the au pair around. She wanted to have that like bonding time. So we ended up finding her an au pair that was worked in the office three days a week and with the kids two days a week. And it was like the perfect solution for her. Cause she was like, Oh, I need help. The office, But then I want to be home with the kids. And so it's always creative solutions that you don't even realize, but she had to interrupt that pattern of starting a new business every time she felt unsatisfied or stressed out, you know? So just recognizing that like there is this propensity that we have to kind of undo um, the patterns. And a lot of it comes down to what I call the four P's, the perfectionism, the people pleasing, the self-pressure and the pushing through. 
right? Of learning of like and identifying like, oh, I'm slipping back into the press self-pressure. I should be better. I should be doing more. It's not good enough. You know, all that I'm tired, but I can't afford to be tired. I want to exercise, but I don't have time to exercise. <laughs> and just kind of, but you got to do enough to bring up the old stuff so that you can move past it. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. So it's just good and, that you're putting those, yourself out there. Yeah. And those models of, of even like physician burnout or other things, those are all qualities like that we bring to the workplace. Um, you know, partly your perfectionism, your altruism, your attention to detail and things. And so that's what's frustrating is then if people take advantage of that and don't help you with like guardrails. So we have boundaries yeah. we talk about, but institutions can set guardrails to to, you know, um, care for their high achievers so that they don't um, burn out. But but we do have to recognize, I mean, that's why I think I was experienced both work burnout and mum burnout because my perfectionism was was coming into that other area of my life as well. So, yeah, yeah, really sort of recognizing that and yeah, very much. Yeah, it's keeping that. It's it's finding those guardrails for ourselves because I think you're right. Like any kind of talent you have or skills that you have can get exploited in the workplace because there yeah. aren't the guardrails there. So it's really learning how do I set my own so that I can have balance and be amazing but not be perfect and not get burned out by because you go into a job and you're amazing and they expect more and more and more and there's just no end and this can happen just. Anyone here is like thinking this just happens at the workplace. This happens at the PTA. Right. You go to the PTA, they will suck you dry. Like whatever you have to offer, they will take and take and still ask for more. And so you've got to learn to set those boundaries for yourself. Find out what works for you and where the balance is. All right. Any final words before I let you go, Jacqueline? This has been really fun. I'm going to put a link to some of the things you've been mentioning, your TED Talk, your podcast that I've been mentioning, but also I'll put a link to Leanne's new website, who's a newbie coach and uh, that you've mentioned and Celine Barker, you mentioned, I think. So any books that we've been talking about and Christy McGuire. So I want to put those in the show notes here. Is there anything else you'd like to final parting words that you are tips you'd like to leave for our audience yeah I think there's a couple of things one is to to own our role in in this process and I think that's where the coaching is so helpful but also to recognize that there are so many outside influences that are making what we do harder like we mentioned the maternal war and the motherhood penalty and recognizing those outside influences because they do make our life harder and that doesn't mean we're a victim of them and i and and by doing the coaching you can get empowered to sort of either limit their influence on you but to me it's to recognize this is not all your fault you you're not entirely to blame here and that doesn't mean don't do something about it it means have self compassion right these barriers are there they're real no matter how many people deny there isn't a pay gap and that you're not alone and that's the whole point if you're not you're not alone in this process because it is a systemic problem. Now I really want to move to changing that that systems problem, but to be honest, when you're burnt out, that's not the thing that that you should be right. focusing on. <laughs> that's um, a good point. But, but I do think it's really important to realize that we do need change in those things, and that each of us, as a role model, can t- start that ripple that that starts to change the system. And as we set 
barriers and say, no, I'm not doing unpaid work in the office. You know, that's a role model to other women to say the same thing. And again, we know we can be penalized for these things. So none of these answers are are easy. Um, But I just think it's that sort of context of you're not to blame. You're not a failure and you're not alone. And there's a lot more going on than, than we kind of appreciate Um, And so, yeah, have self-compassion around that and have compassion with the others around you who are struggling because they're also, you know, um, hitting these walls and and feeling frustrated. So, yeah, I think there's answers in some collective action as well. For for sure. And I think the first step towards systemic change is to, for us to fill up our own cups, to get the help you need to get out of burnout because you can't change a system from a place of burnout. So I think that's really important. And then, yeah, there's a lot of things we can do with just pure pressure in the positive way, like encouraging moms to take a break and to mm-hmm. take a momcation and to, you know, just rest and that you don't always have to be, how are you? Oh, busy. Everything's busy. You know, like, well, like I, you know, I'm, I, I the best part of my week was sitting and doing nothing for 15 minutes. You know, like mm-hmm. really celebrating that of like, yeah, I took a day off and drove around in my car and listened to an audiobook and, you know, left my kids with my husband and just looked at beautiful scenery. Like if we could encourage each other to take those breaks, to think you don't have to wait until your feet are in the stirrups to lie down for 15 minutes or in the dentist chair and that's your break. That is not noble and it's not helping the cause right <laughs> right and yeah we shouldn't be these martyrs to motherhood that that really was something that struck me is you know would you want the life you're having for your daughter and the answer is always no and so if you don't want to demonstrate that to her you have to role model something else we do not want this life we're living for, for our daughters we want something different and so we do i mean that that martyr um, feeling, yes, it makes us feel great. We feel important. We feel needed, but we don't want our daughters to have that. So yeah. That's a perfect um, way to end, Jacqueline. I love that. Do you want the, the life you're living? Do you, would you want that for your daughter? And that's a good bar, uh, parameter, you know, to ask yourself. And if not, then it's time to make some changes. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time and, and energy coming to the podcast. I think it's going to be a wonderful one to share. Thank you. Want a free life coaching session? Go to lifecoachingforparents.com and schedule yours today. And thank you so much for listening. I would love it if you would subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the air, go to lifecoachingforparents.com slash record my question and you can send me a voicemail recording or write me an email and I'll answer it on the air. Thanks again. Have a great day.